Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, why, hello there, all of you curiously-minded peeps. I'm Kendall Long. Welcome to the podcast, Little Curiosities. Now, some of you may remember me from a show called The Bachelor. You know, that one with roses? And I was known as the weird taxidermy girl. Hopefully that rings a bell. I did bring some taxidermy specimens. I sang ukulele to a seal. On that show, I was on a quest for love. But on this podcast, I am on a completely different quest, the quest for knowledge. Each week is inspired by a spark of curiosity, just walking around in daily life, and I see something and I'm like, I have to know more about that. Just like the one you heard in the beginning of this episode. Now for this episode, I am so pumped because I have been working with a company called Colossal for the longest time, and Colossal is on a mission to bring back the woolly mammoth. Have you heard about this? Bringing back the woolly mammoth? And there's a bunch of other animals that they're planning to bring back for the sake of bettering our planet. I'm talking to the CEO and also the head of biological sciences for Colossal. I can't wait to get started. But before we do, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave a comment right now. Pause this episode. Go subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a single episode of Little Curiosities. I'll wait. Okay, we're back. Did you subscribe? Thank you so much. You know what? All you can do to spread this podcast and get it out there means so much to us on the Little Curiosities team. So without further ado, let's talk about bringing back the woolly mammoth. I am extremely excited for this episode of Little Curiosities. I have with me today Ben Lamb, who is the CEO and founder of Colossal Biosciences, and Ariana Husoli. I think I said that correct. Yes. Yes. And she is the head of biology at Colossal. I've done a little bit of work with Colossal myself. We've done some videos talking about the company. It is the world's first de-extinction company. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to, uh, to chat on the new podcast. Happy to be here. You guys are actually one of my first interviews for Little Curiosities. I'm excited. So when I first talked to my audience about Colossal, and I announced you guys launching the Woolly Mammoth Project, I got a lot of really strong reactions. A lot of people (laughs) were curious as to, like, how is it possible? It sounds like this is a movie coming to life. So first of all, my question is, how can we rebirth something like a Woolly Mammoth? Well, Ariana, do you want to talk through some of the science uh, at a high level, uh, just for like, so people can understand the process. And then I obviously, Kendall can talk about any of the reactions because we've got a, a myriad of reactions. I feel like anytime we say anything, we get feedback. Uh, it's mostly positive. We get some 
crazy feedback, some negative feedback. But you know, like like most recently when we announced our donor project, we were on every single late night talk show, which was crazy, and people were making really strange memes about eating dodos. So I'm not surprised you get lots of reaction when you talk about Colossal. Yeah, I want to get back to the eating portion of it because I think a lot of people have talked about eating the animals you want to bring back. Which is super strange. No, but so Ariana, why don't you talk a little bit about just kind of the process that we're going through uh, on our mammalian side? Yeah, decades ago, the uh, science of ancient DNA sequencing sort of like took off. And of course, it culminated recently last year with the award of Nobel Prize to one of the pioneers of ancient DNA sequencing. So Colossal actually has a wealth of uh, genomic data, both on uh, elephants, on all species of elephants, as well as the mammoths. And so we are able to actually computationally derive all of the variants that make a species a species, at least for the species of interest for us, in this case, elephants and mammoths. And so we actually have to sort through the data and look at genomic regions and DNA regions that are associated with certain traits that are desirable for us to actually make these uh, Arctic elephants, so cold adaptation traits, so subcutaneous fat, shaggy hair, small ears and tails, circadian biology, fat deposits, and so on. And of course, temperature sensation. So those are some of the traits that we focus on. And we use, of course, a lot of gene editing technology, CRISPR included. That actually is how we make these edits in Asian elephant backgrounds to turn into these Arctic elephants that have essentially it's an Asian elephant background with these cold adaptation traits. And then, of course, we use a variety of functional assays and animal models to test that these are the traits that actually we get from making those genetic changes. And there's around 40 different traits, right? Or there might be more now that are going to be attributed to the woolly mammoth DNA. Is that correct? Yeah. So we kind of have to make the distinction. We have some of the traits, so there are much fewer than 40, but we have 40 to 100 DNA regions that we focus on editing, right? So trait is something like cold adaptation, like uh, subcutaneous fat, as I mentioned, shaggy hair and so on, coat color. But the actual genomic regions and the DNA regions that we focus on are between 40 and 100. And the reason for attributing these traits to the Asian elephant to create a woolly mammoth, would you call it a hybrid? Is that the correct term that you're using? Mm -hmm. Yes. So they can survive the Arctic tundra. And I thought this was such a fascinating idea, like a way to help the environment. I want you to explain a little bit more about that as how the woolly mammoth, like how bringing large herding animals to the Arctic tundra, like how is that good for the future of our planet up there? Our first, uh, what we call a mammoth 1.0 is a hybrid, is an intermediate. So the way when we thought about actually engineering these elephants and they have to go through these intermediate stages to complete the extinction, which is still Colossal's uh, ultimate goal, right? For all of the animals that we actually are going after. But in the meantime, we can actually create these hybrids, these intermediates that are beneficial to conservation. So imagine an elephant with cold adaptation traits is more suitable to actually survive in colder environments and potentially away from poachers and risks that actually have driven it to threaten currently and potentially close to extinction. So that's how we kind of um, figure that these intermediates, these cold adaptation elephants are just as valuable because of the conservation value that they bring in terms of essentially evolving a species to a newer environment that can actually potentially save it from extinction. Exactly, because the permafrost there, keeping the ground colder. Ben, I'm not sure if, um, Ariana, you also went to the Arctic tundra to see where the woolly mammoths are going to be. How is the experience of just seeing like the animals that you're going to be creating where they're going to be living? 
yeah, it made it very real for us because George and I, I was a postdoc in George Church's lab at that time. Of course, we knew the value of bringing back the woolly mammoth, as you mentioned, a lot of bringing back the biodiversity uh, that the megafauna conferred on these uh, colder environments of places in Holocene. And so we went there and we actually saw the park. It's sort of like a fenced-in area, a lot of animals. Pleistocene Park, right? Pleistocene Park, mm-hmm. A lot of cold adaptation, uh, cold adapted animals are brought in by the Zimovs, uh, uh, Sergei and Nikita Zimov, that have done an incredible job actually setting both our research station there as well as this fenced-in area to actually sort of like conduct this geoengineering experiment there. And so we saw the animals, we saw the area, we saw some of the the actual after effects, right, of bringing back more animals to sort of like tread on the snow. Because it's working. Like it's showing that bringing herding animals there, creating the grasslands. The signs are very promising. Yeah. And they're saying that in some of these peer-reviewed papers that they've been able to lower the ground temperatures by up to eight degrees. That's a lot. Which is just amazing given that, you know, there's more carbon and more methane stored there than anywhere else. And, and we think that, you know, mammoths and Arctic elephants can be just a massive accelerant to that kind of modeling, which which the Zimovs are excited about. And then, and then Ariona and I actually also went up to Alaska, northern Alaska, and had lots of meetings there with various government officials, private landowners. We held some public town halls and forums for people to come and talk to us, ask us questions. Given the geopolitical world that we live in right now, hopefully everything gets better in, in kind of the Russian and Siberian region by the time we're ready to reintroduce mammoths. But we're also working with Alaska and Canada and some of the other Arctic uh, nations as well. Yeah, and mammoths were spread all over the Arctic Circle, right? So Ben and I went there and we sort of like brought pride that Alaska can fully embrace (laughs) that they were mammoth land. And so therefore, we are very, very happy to work with them to reintroduce them into the wild. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I feel like a lot of people are going to want to see these mammoths in person, they're going to want to, a lot of people are saying they want to eat the mammoths, which makes me upset because that's the reason why they became extinct in the first place. So how is that going to be prevented? Poaching might be an issue. Yeah. So, so that's not just been a mammoth topic. That's actually been a topic with some of the other species that we've announced too, like when we talked about the dodo and others. And so fundamentally, it's a weird question that comes up way more often than you think. People ask, well, can we eat them? Uh, I won't pick on a specific governor, but it has come up at a governor's office. It was the second question. Um, And so we as a de-extinction company aren't focusing on bringing animals back in order to eat them. We have lots of food sources here in the world that we don't need to de-extinct one to add something new to eat. And so we are very thoughtful on our rewilding uh, campaign. So working with both indigenous people groups private landowners, and then also the governments at at large, we intend to be very thoughtful on the protection of those animals and ensuring that we do everything we can to protect the animals. So the rewilding process, most people think of rewilding that you just have the animals and then you just go put them back in the wild. That's actually not true. For example, I was just in Tasmania and I was fortunate enough to rewild the 21st Tasmanian devil back into the mainland, which is not an extinct animal, right? Wow. Which is 
native to that area, but even, you know, Ned was his name. And so even though, even the rewilding of Ned, you know, he's the 21st, right? And so there's a very thoughtful gated process where you start in smaller enclosures and then grow, you monitor the environment, you monitor the animals, you monitor the ecosystem. So rewilding, it has to be very thoughtfully and carefully done. And so even though we're probably a decade away from actually reintroducing mammoths back into the Arctic, we're starting those conversations now because animal safety, as well as uh, public sentiment and general ecosystem restoration all have to be components kind of in that modeling. So we have an entire team that is already focusing on rewilding, even though it's quite a ways out. That was a question that I had, like either they're going to be in some sort of nature reserve where it's gated or fenced in, or they're going to be actually in the wild, like on their own, you know, because I feel like the reason why these animals were extinct in the first place was because of hunting and eating them, ruining their natural habitats. So I'm glad that you have that in place to make sure that they're protected. They'll probably start off in some type of nature reserve, right? That then yes. you that that's the way all rewilding programs work, where you kind of stage gate them through the process, right? So that that not only are we being thoughtful about the animals, but we're trying to be thoughtful about the other animals in the entire ecosystem and how those things can emerge. So it's a process, but uh, it's pretty exciting. So how do you feel about introducing animals into an ecosystem that has maybe evolved after they've gone extinct for hundreds of years? Is there a way to maybe make it so it's not unbalanced or is there research that's done to make sure that they coexist? Yeah, so we're spending a lot of time thinking through uh, a lot of those things on, on all of our species, right? Looking at each of the species, like the thylacine, for example, the ecosystem exists. There hasn't been really an apex predator that has taken its place. Some of the smaller animals are overrun. Some of the sick animals are proliferating. So it's a perfect reintroduction on the thalassine. That's probably the easiest of the three, right, that we're working on. And then in the case of the dodo, one of the things outside of eating them, which the Dutch settlers and others did, given they were flightless birds, they only lay one egg a year. And guess what? Since they're flightless, it's on the ground. When you introduce these invasive species like rats and monkeys and, and pigs Thunder. and whatnot to the islands of Mauritius, which the Dutch did, it also starts to eat those eggs and it, and it causes it to be extinct. So in the case of the dodo rewilding project, you know we're going to be working closely with the Mauritian government and the Mauritian people and the ecological society to essentially go to these various kind of neighboring islands and start the removal of invasive species, which won't only help the reintroduction of the dodo, but it will help the other kind of natural local fauna there to thrive, you know, with the removal of these invasive species. Well, because another big thing is reintroducing biodiversity. Yeah, it's it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. You know, it's crazy. On the Mauritius example, they had a giant tortoise that went extinct. And recently, they've actually reintroduced a giant tortoise from a neighboring island from the Seychelles. And what they found was while they did that, that, that tortoise started eating grass and, and different plants. And based on how some of these uh, specific seeds go through their gestative tract, and then, you know, obviously as it defecates and, and gets spread, there were species of plants that they hadn't seen in Mauritius in like a hundred years. It just showed up and it was because of the tortoise. And so what's interesting about the biodiversity is you start to see kind of the halo effect of reintroducing these animals back into their natural habitat, they even go into plant life, which is really interesting. Because a lot of plants depend on specific animals in order to spread around into certain areas. Exactly. It's so interesting how species-specific it is and removing one species from that ecosystem can completely collapse it and completely shift it. 
with the thylacine, it was one of the only apex predators in Australia. Yeah. yeah to your point, Kendall, like Australia has a, it is kind of like currently like the poster child of mammalian extinction. Right now, more mammals are going extinct in Australia than anywhere else on the earth. And it's been the removal of the keystone species like the thylacine and also the, the introduction of invasive species like cats, right? So mm -hmm. you know, cats are actually really good at killing small marsupials. So Australia is working on how do they remove the feral cat program. They have a program about how do they remove feral cats from the wild, as well as how do they reintroduce these keystone species. And so the thylacine is fundamental because it was the apex predator of Tasmania and lower Australia. And I can cite one particular example. There was a paper actually that showed that with the extinction of around 59 or so megafauna from the late Pleistocene, uh, early Holocene uh, era in South America, they actually a lot of the uh, large fruit-bearing trees also suffered because those animals were very, very crucial for seed dispersing, as Ben mentioned, for other species. So absolutely crucial that we have, we restore biodiversity. So even the flora flourishes uh, when we restore these habitats and ecosystems. How does Colossal choose specific animals to rebirth? I feel like there's a flood of all these different animals we that we want to bring back. We can't do them all, right? It's like, it's like, we're not, it's like Pokemon. I can't catch them all. And so we're like, yeah. we literally just can't do them all. But our goal is that in the development and the pursuit of these specific ones, we're building tools and technologies that any tools that we have applications for conservation, we want to open source, share with conservation groups at no cost so that they could actually then leverage these kind of next gen uh, genetic rescue technologies to help save species. And so for us, you know, the mammoth was an easy one, right? Because uh, George had been working on it for six years. We wanted to start a synthetic biology company with George. I saw the TED talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's natural ecosystem restoration components with replenishing the Arctic grasslands. There's kind of this halo effect of helping preserve and save elephants and develop technologies for assisted reproductive technologies for elephants. So the, uh, that was easy. That when we announced the project, to your point, we get so much media and so much interest that, you know, Everyone's got a favorite species. We get we get a right. lot of really weird requests. Um, What's been the weirdest request you've gotten? I mean, I, I would say we probably get dinosaurs twice a day. There's no DNA for dinosaurs. That upsets there's, me. There, there, <laughs> okay, so there's there's technically you can go through a demineralization process and actually you can get individual nuclei. You, you you can't get amino acids. You can get some stuff there. There's some cartilage oh, that exists. So you're saying it's possible? No, I'm not saying it's possible. There, it is not possible to de-extinct a dinosaur. Darn it. We just don't have the DNA. And also, what purpose? The environment's so different. What purpose would it serve? It. That's probably the biggest one. You know what's weird is that we've gotten a lot of we've gotten a handful of megalodon requests, which is just why would you ever? Okay, so first of all, you can't do it. But second of all, why would you ever want to do it? We try to be pretty thoughtful. Chaos. Like you know, we want to focus on the animals that have a reason to bring back that they serve an ecological reason where mankind you know had a role in their extinction, whether it's sol or partial in the case of the mammoths. And where we've done a lot of ecological modeling where it actually makes sense and that we can actually achieve it. Like one animal that I would love to bring back that we are not working on is this stellar sea cow. And I think it's absolutely achievable. It was absolutely fundamental to the kelp forests of the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, like humans do, we eradicated it from the planet, but we can't gestate it. There's nothing to gestate it. In. And so until our teams get further, we have an entire exodev or artificial womb team and until they get further and we know we can grow mammoths, we're not going to take on additional kind of super challenging projects. But that's another example of something that I would like to do, but we just don't have the technologies yet in order to achieve it. 
You've been working on a lot of animals that have gone extinct, but Colossal is also helping with animals that are still alive today, like the Asian elephant. I read recently that Colossal's working to eradicate EEHV in the elephant population, which kills a massive amount of, I think I heard a statistic that was half of juvenile elephants in zoos are dying because of this. Yeah. And they think it could be as high as 25% globally from EEHV, which is a herpes virus that kills elephants, mostly at the time of weaning. Now, adults can die from it too, but it is most susceptible at the time of weaning when you're coming off the mother's milk. And so it's one of those things that we as humanity had the technologies. It's just you have to put the right ingenious people like Ariona and George Church and uh, Dr. Pauling, who we're also working with on that project. You got to put them together. You got to give them the right tools and technologies. But then fundamentally, I think a lot of these reasons are people just don't have enough money that they go focus on it. So like if Pauling had the right financial support and some of these other resources, we would have already cured EHV. But I think the general public is like, you know, oh, there's not money. And investors like, well, there's no money in curing HV, so why would we do it? And I think a lot of those decisions in the world are made based on these kind of monetary perspectives. And so for us, we're creating these incredible, you know, mammoths. They're based on the Asian elephant architecture. We don't want 25% of them to be susceptible to this. So it's completely in our interest to do it, but it's also one of those things that we can give back to the world. So we're not going to charge for it. We're just, when we achieve it, which we think will get done in the next 24 months, we're just going to give that to the world because I think that's one of the big goals of Colossal is if we're successful in this, I think Colossal will have contributed to saving more elephants than anyone else in the history of humankind, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think the picture is kind of complete as well, in a way, because we're not just talking about the extinction uh, of animals themselves. As um, we just mentioned with the EEHV, we are actually talking about uncovering those pathogen host relationships that could be detrimental to both extinct and extant animals. And so when you engineer traits or when you engineer potentially, you know, an, an elephant to become a woolly mammoth, you do have to be aware of what potential diseases could affect these organisms and kind of engineer resistance to them or treat them. Uh, so whether by vaccine or gene engineering. So we're actually very thoughtful about sort of like the complete picture, bringing back an animal, but also sort of like conferring resistance to some of those diseases that can make it uh, super susceptible to early death. So I see Colossal's not just a de-extinction company. It's also trying to preserve the species that we already have. And with this technology, it also helps humans, right? So it's just better for the world in total. Do you feel like Colossal also has ambitions to help with certain diseases in humans? I think that fundamentally, you know, we're a de-extinction and species preservation company, but part of how we are monetizing is looking for applications to human healthcare. So anytime we have technologies that add application to human healthcare, we license it out, spin it out. Um, so I don't think that we as Colossal will go after a specific disease state or whatnot, but I do think that some of the technologies, like you know, our first technology spin out, Form Bio, is a computational biology platform that I think scientists will use to solve different challenges around a disease state or developing a drug discovery or whatnot. And so I think that we'll get to see the halo effects of our work being applicable, but I don't think we as Colossal will ever go after direct human healthcare. I mean- You can't solve the whole world's problems, right? <laughs> no, no, no. We, we have a lot going on here. Exactly. So we just need to focus on our stuff. So a world where animals deserve like a second chance, where they get to thrive again. Like, what do you think that kind of world looks like? I think it looks like the world that we're trying to develop, right? And so I don't think this means that we as humanity can take our eye off the ball of losing species because it's very 
very expensive to bring back these extinct species. I mean, raise $225 million. We're going to raise more at some point in the future, right? And so it's one of those things that that is not the best kind of cost benefit analysis of the first species preservation. But I think that the proliferation of some of the tools that we are developing can be in the hands of conservationists that can give them hopefully a fighting chance against extinction of critically endangered species. So that's one of the things that we're very hopeful for with some of the technologies that come out of our de-extinction work. But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a great world. And I feel like we as humanity have gotten over the fact that is climate change real? Uh, we now understand that it is, or we've, we, I kind of understand we've all, I think there's a vast majority of people that have accepted it. And I think people recognize the harm that we are inflicting on our planet, specifically with man-made climate change and with loss of biodiversity and eradicating species. And so I think the general population is wanting to know what can we do to help? And um, hopefully we as Colossal can be one of hopefully a thousand companies that come with us and after us that are focusing on some of these core issues. And using technology to bring biodiversity back to the world and to make the world a better place. And I personally love Colossal. For all of you who want to get more information about Colossal, go to Colossal.com. Also, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at It Is Colossal. Anything else you want to share about Colossal and your mission? No, any, any, we're just thankful to be here. And we love feedback, positive or negative. So, you know, the feedback that we've gotten for the world has just been really great. Mostly positive, but in the case that it is negative, we want that feedback because we're not going to do everything right. But with people's feedback, hopefully we can just do better and better. And I just want to do like a quick recruiting pitch, right? If you're talented and passionate about the extinction, come and join us in our journey. Yeah. I'll sign up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're always we're always looking for the best and brightest. So um well thanks so much, Kendall, for having us. Thank you, Kendall. And Ariana, thank you for talking with me today. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Go check out Colossal Guys. Is anyone else's mind blown that we're potentially going to have a woolly mammoth in our lifetime? It's going to happen. It's kind of like a Jurassic Park, but the better version of it, because we're not going to be eaten by big dinosaurs. We're just going to have awesome woolly mammoths roaming our planet, making it a better place. So cool. Okay, so that wraps up this episode of Little Curiosities. If you haven't already, remember to like and subscribe to Little Curiosities. Also, leave a comment if you are so inclined. Your support means the world to me here and everyone else on the Little Curiosities team. If you found this episode interesting, share it, disperse it amongst other curiously minded people. I cannot wait to talk about something else that sparks my curiosity next week. Who knows what it will be? It is a mystery. So until then, ciao. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse and Alexa Gabrielle Ramirez. Edited by Will Tendy. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. 
Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Are you ready for the ultimate Love Island experience? Join us on After the Island. We're going back to where it all began, Fiji. Love Island USA Season 5 is making a splash on Peacock right now. And guess what? Your favorite recap show is back, too. Welcome to After the Island. Join us as real-life besties and co-hosts, Elizabeth and Alex, as we deep dive into each sizzling episode of Love Island USA. We'll spill the tea, interview contestants, answer fan questions, and give you unprecedented behind-the-scenes access to the wildly popular world of Love Island. Don't miss a single moment of the drama, romance, and unforgettable island vibes. Listen to After the Island on any streaming platform.